This podcast is a ministry of the First Baptist Church of Diana, Texas. If you're in East Texas, you can gather with us on Sundays at 10.15 a.m. You can find more episodes of our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, and on our website, www.fbcdiana.org. Thanks for listening. What a wonderful, wonderful joy to be with you all uh, this morning. Uh, Thank you so much for your uh, leading us in prayer this morning, brother, for uh, worship team, for leading us in singing. Uh, So glad to know Mark and to minister alongside him with uh, like-minded beliefs. So thankful for this church. Uh, I grew up in East Texas outside of Crockett, Texas. I grew up in a little town called Latexo. Crockett was the big town that we went to, if you've even heard of it. Uh, My wife and I ministered in uh, Hong Kong, China for four years where we had two children and uh, other places around the world. We now live in Austin, Texas, where we've been for 11 years. Um, But I think she grew up in Palestine as well. Uh, We would both agree there's a lot of red dirt uh, in our blood and uh, pine trees in our memories. So this feels like a bit coming home for me, uh, even though I have only just now today met you all. Um, Brad, good to have met you this morning. Josh as well, fellow elders. Uh, very, very thankful uh, to be with you to share God's Word today. I understand that you like to stand up to hear God's Word. Is that correct? Please stand. Let's read today's sermon text, Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 19. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 19. If you're at my church in your house Bibles, that would put you on page 977. That gives you any direction on how you might get there in your own Bible. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 19. This is the word of the Lord. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Let's pray. Father, we do ask now that you would help your word get in our hearts. That we might not only know it in our minds, that we might not only hear it with our ears. But in all the ways that we need encouragement today to continue walking in faith and obedience. Oh God, you and your word and your spirit would encourage us. And all of the ways that we need to be convicted of sin. God, would you, by your word and by your spirit, convict us of sin that we might repent and turn to righteousness and obedience and worship toward you. We are thankful that we have your active living word. As we hear it, help it read us. That we might know Christ that we might know you, that we might obey you with our hearts. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Well, C.S. Lewis put it like this. No man knows how bad he is till he has tried very hard to be good. Have you found this to be true in your own life? Once you start trying to really do good and be good, you really begin to learn just how bad we all are. Perhaps lately you've thought, I don't want to go to bed angry anymore. Maybe you've thought, I really want to have words that build up come out of my mouth. Maybe you made that resolution this year, maybe you should. Maybe you have in your mind overcoming temptations with morality or drunkenness or adultery. Or maybe your marriage needs help being a truly life-giving, God-glorifying relationship. 
Maybe you thought about being a better boss, a better employee, or a better son, a better father. Well, each of these goals comes from the second half of the book of Ephesians. What we read this morning is our sermon text this morning, but we'll really be addressing the whole of Ephesians this morning. The second half of the book of Ephesians gives us instructions for how to live like Christ in our marriages, at our workplaces, and in our homes, with our children. But as you think about it, don't be surprised if you are feeling, well, that all feels insurmountable. It feels impossible. Trying to do good morally and ethically can often feel like just trying to do the next diet fad. You've done Whole30. Well, my favorite thing about Whole30 is it only lasts 30 days. And you are wholly done with it. You can go back to whatever you were doing. Maybe you've tried keto. Maybe you've tried Weight Watchers. You've Maybe like that, you've tried to have a better heart. Be a better person. Have a better mouth. A more selfless wallet. But struggle. Often Christians struggle with how their salvation relates to how they live their lives. How does my forgiveness of my sin actually keep me from living in sin? Here's three things that I'm going to say today in so many words this morning. We are saved by Christ to live like Christ. You see this in the book of Ephesians. This is, in a sense, a summary of the book of Ephesians. A summary. We are saved by Christ to live like Christ. Next sentence. To live like Christ, Christ must dwell in our hearts through faith. To live like Christ... Christ must dwell in our hearts through faith. And finally, if Christ is to dwell in our hearts, God must grant it and the Holy Spirit must empower it. If Christ is to dwell in our hearts, God must grant it and the Spirit must empower it. First, we are saved by Christ to live like Christ. Listen, everything about the church has to do with Jesus Christ. Everything about being a Christian has to do with Christ. We never graduate from Christ. We never mature out of Jesus. We only mature into Jesus Christ. We can only think about him too little. We can only apply him too little. We can never overestimate the importance and the wonder and the glory of Jesus Christ. Look with me in your Bibles in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 through 14, and read about our salvation. See that we are saved by Christ. And then we will look at quickly passing some verses in the second half of Ephesians where we see we are saved like Christ in order to live like Christ. Now, there's a wonderful trinity of structures here in this chapter, verse, chapter 1, verse 13, verse 3 through 14. We will see here, if you can look quickly, we are saved by the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But everything the Father does, and obviously everything the Son does, and everything the Spirit does, they're all through Jesus Christ. All through Christ. See if you can notice how often Christ is referred to in chapter 1, verse 3 through 14. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined, that's God, predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in Christ the Beloved. In him, that is in Christ, we have redemption through his Blood, which he said on the cross for us. Redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to the purpose which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, that is, in Christ. Things that are in heaven, things that are on earth. In him, that's Christ, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, 
so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, in Christ, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Now, if you want to go back and look through that chapter and research it some more, you'll see that the father works to the praise of his glory. The son's work is to the praise of his glory and the spirit's work is to the praise of his glory. And everything the father, son and spirit do are all through the son. Over and over, 12 times in this chapter, it is in him, in Christ, in the beloved. 40 times in this six chapter book. Over 50 times, if you consider all the times he refers to Christ simply by his title, Lord, in this little six-chapter book, Paul refers to Christ. We are saved by Christ in every possible way. The Father's choosing is in Christ. The Son gave his blood on the cross, and we are sealed by the Holy Spirit through our faith in him. There is nothing that we have, that we believe, that we do, that is not by, through, and for Jesus Christ. There is not a moment in time past, present, or future, nor is there a place in heaven or on earth where God has a single plan, a single blessing, which is not in Christ. Whatever we have from God, we have through Christ. This is the dominating book of Ephesians. Paul wants the church to consider everything in the light of Jesus Christ. Now, if you can flip really quickly, look in chapter 1, verse 15. Paul says, because I heard of your faith in Jesus, I pray that you know the power of God in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Christ. You can glance at these quickly and see if you can pick up some of them. But through the first half of the letter, Paul continues to expound on Jesus Christ and what he means in salvation for us. Chapter 2, verse 5, it says, We are made alive together spiritually with Christ. Chapter 2, verse 7, God shows us his kindness in Jesus Christ. Chapter 2, verse 10, as Christians, we are God's workmanship created in Christ. Chapter 2, verse 13, we were once a divided people, but now we are one in Christ by the blood of Christ. Chapter 3, verse 1, Paul refers to himself as a prisoner of Christ. Why? Because chapter 3, verse 6 of the mystery of Christ, that the Jews and Gentiles are now the one holy people in Christ. Chapter 3, verse 11, God's eternal purpose of uniting all peoples into one church is realized in Christ. In chapter 3, verse 20, all glory is to God the Father and forever and ever in the church and in Christ. All of salvation, our sin washed away, our being unified, all of God's plans in all time, in all space, everything God does, He does by, through, and for Jesus Christ. So we might think, well, this is all the doctrinal stuff. This is all the truth that we are to believe as Christians. But as Paul turns from what we call the indicative, the instruction and the teaching, and he moves in the book to what we call the imperative, the instruction for how to live, guess what Paul keeps talking about? If he just had one guess, what would you guess? Christ. <laughs> he doesn't say Christ is what we believe. Christ is the instruction for how we live also. Paul makes that shift at the beginning of chapter 4 from teaching doctrine to telling us how to live our lives. And in chapter 4, verse 7, we are given gifts around the church according to the measure of Christ's gifts. If you have elders, if you have deacons, if you have Sunday school teachers for your children, these are Christ's gifts if you have a pastor who preaches the word faithfully to your church every single Sunday, week in, week out, you have a gift from Christ. Amen? Chapter 4, verse 12, discipleship is building up the body of Christ. Chapter 4, verse 13, maturity as a Christian is becoming the fullness of Christ. 
Chapter 4, verse 15, when we grow from immaturity, we grow into the head who is Christ. Chapter 4, verse 20, we should no longer walk in futility of mind and hardness of heart as the Gentiles did, because that is not the way that we learned Christ. Paul says, chapter 4, verse 32, forgive one another as uh, God in Christ forgave you. Chapter 5, verse 2, walk in love as Christ loved us. Chapter 5, verse 5, Paul warns about those who persist in sexual sin and idolatry because they do not have part in the kingdom of Christ. When we sing, we sing to God from our hearts in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Chapter 5, verse 20. Chapter 5, verse 32, the whole mystery of marriage is Christ and the church. Bond servants are to obey their masters, chapter 6, verse 5, like they would Christ. Finally, chapter 6, verse 10, he says, Be strong in the Lord, that is Christ, and in the strength of his might, put on that famous armor of God. You cannot think too highly of Jesus Christ. The church only needs more of Christ in every conceivable way. In our understanding of how we were saved and in our understanding of how we are to live. What are we to believe about salvation in order to be saved? Chapters 1 through 3, Christ. Christ is the doctrine. Christ is our teaching. Christ is our belief. The crucifixion of His blood for our sins. How are we to live then? How are we to live as those who are saved by faith in Christ? Christ! Jesus is our example. He is our life. He is our way of obedience. What's the connection? What's the connection between doctrine believed and understood in the mind to doctrine lived and obeyed? We were saved by Christ to live like Christ. How do we get from being saved like Christ to living like Christ? As a husband, as a boss, as an employee, as someone who's driving in traffic. To live like Christ, Christ must dwell in our hearts through faith. Christ must dwell in our hearts through faith. Paul is teaching that to get from understanding the teaching of Christ in 1 through 3 to living like Christ in chapters 4 through 6, Christ cannot only be known in the mind. He must be known beyond knowledge in the mind and get down into the heart. Now, Paul has never visited Lifeway, Christian bookstore, or whatever we have now. Paul did not walk around looking at our coffee mugs and our T-shirts and say, you know what a good phrase to use would be Christ dwelling in our hearts. Now, Paul knows that all of our lives are lived out from our hearts. You can't do a single thing in your life that you don't do from the heart. You can't. The only thing you can do is live out your heart. Maybe you disguise your heart, but your disguising your heart is what your heart does. Jesus taught in Mark chapter 7, verse 21 to 22, For from within, not what you put in the mouth is what defiles you, but from within, out of the heart of man... Come evil thoughts, all the things that brother led us to pray and confess this morning. Sexual morality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. Those are not things that we, traps that we fall into. Those are things that come out of our own hearts. We can't but live from our hearts. All of our problems for our behavior, they're heart problems. They're not just behavior problems. One of, the, one of the worst mistakes I make as a parent, and I do this often, I have to catch myself, is to just tell my kids, my kids, quit acting like that. It's so damning. That's not the problem. They can't just not act like that. They're living out their heart. We all live out our, our hearts. Paul recognized this. Look in chapter 14, verse 17 through 18. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7 through 17 through 18. Paul says, now I, test, now I say this and I testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. 
So don't walk like they do in their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their hearts. Their ignorance about Christ doesn't come from their mind. It comes from a hardness of heart. Look in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18 to 19. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18 to 19, Paul is talking to us about drunkenness and singing, two things that are actually opposites of each other in one sense. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your hearts. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Look in chapter 6, verse 5. Chapter 6, verse 5, Paul moves on from singing to wives and husbands, children and parents, and down to bondservants, slaves and masters. Chapter 6, verse 5, he says, Bondservants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ. Not by the way of eye service, not just doing enough to be seen and perceived as actually obeying, as people pleasers. But as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. Actually do it and love it. The heart, Paul understands, is the operating system for the self. You cannot get from indicatives to imperatives unless you include the heart. You cannot get from the thinking, the things in your mind and believe, to the living things in your hands, your mouth and your feet, unless you go through your heart. Surely we have all found that living like Christ is difficult. It's hard. It takes a lot to move a heart. It takes a lot to change. Spurgeon understood this. He said, surely if men's hearts were right, short sermons would be enough. Trying to live like Christ without faith in Christ in your heart is like trying to hang apples on an orange tree. You will find that though you keep throwing apples on the tree, you just can't stop the tree from growing more oranges. Christ cannot be lived unless he dwells in our hearts through faith. The phrase that Paul uses. So we are saved by Christ in order to live like Christ. The summary of the book of Ephesians. To live like Christ, Christ must dwell in our hearts. Paul has taught us that everything comes out of the heart. And and here we might stop and think, oh, Well, I'll just have to get Jesus into my heart then. But it's not that simple, is it? It, The heart is not so easily changed. Every now and then, while Disney is getting everything absolutely wrong, they have some sentences in their songs that ring true. In the song Fixer Upper, sung by the trolls about Kristoff in the movie Frozen, the trolls sing about him, this Fixer Upper saying, we're not saying you can change him. Because people don't really change. To that I say, Amen. They don't have a very good solution in the song, but he's right. They're right. People don't just change. People don't just just change. In fact, that's the testimony of the entire Old Testament. People don't just change on their own. God saved Israel, he chose Israel, then he saved them from Egypt. He gave them the law about how to live. I mean, it was written down in stone tablets for them, came down from a mountain where Moses' face was shining like the sun. They got the tablets, they've been saved from Egypt through, through the Red Sea and seen the fire and the victory. And God gave them the law and showed them how to live. He took them into the promised land, defeated all of their enemies, gave them a land flowing with milk and honey. It's like East Texas, but not so humid in the summer. It's just, it's wonderful, it's beautiful. The environment is perfect and safe. And they didn't change. Their hearts were the same sinful, rebellious, forgetful hearts that they had always been. This is, in fact, the connection between the Old Testament and the New Testament. The the transition from the Old Covenant to the New Covenant is about the heart. 
Despite every earthly advantage, the people of God kept sinning and rebelling against God. Never think, never let yourself be convinced that if you had a better house, a better car, you lived in a different city and you had a better job, you wouldn't be so angry. Oh no, you will find something to be angry about. And jealous. And lie. And deceive. And selfish. You'll just do it with more stuff. I'm fascinated by the idea that we have today by the likes of Elon Musk that we're going to go populate Mars. Why would we do that to Mars? Take us and mess up another planet in the solar system. We're just going to take sin there with us. Sin in the heart is the issue that the new covenant is fixing by God's grace. The new covenant terms come through the prophets while they are in exile because of their sinful, unchanged hearts. So Jeremiah says things like this. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I had made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts. No more on stone tablets. I have to get it into the heart. The heart is the location for the difference between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. Between the Old Testament and the New Testament. The whole lesson of the Old Testament is that it is not only difficult to get a new heart, it is impossible to truly affect and change the heart for good without the Spirit of God. It can't happen. We wind up in exile every time. We are saved by Christ in order to live like Christ. To live like Christ, Christ must dwell in our hearts. And Christ will not get into our hearts unless God grants it and the Spirit empowers it. Look with me back in Ephesians chapter 4 or 3, verse 16. What Paul is praying for this church, saved by Christ, or to live like Christ. He's praying that, verse 16, that according to the riches of God's glory... God may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. You see what Paul's doing? Christ has to be in the heart if He's going to be lived out in the life. And I'm praying that God grants it and the Spirit empowers it. So that Christ can dwell in your inner being. Christ does not get into our hearts unless God grants us the power. To have Christ in our hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit. If God does not grant it and the Spirit does not enable it, Christ does not dwell in our hearts. There is an idea floating around and it has been haunting and disrupting real Christian faith in the West for some time. It is the idea that salvation is something I do for Jesus. What does it mean to be a Christian? I accept Jesus in my heart. I invite Jesus in my heart. It's a very thin line, but there is the proclamation that I did something that saves me. We have to be very careful about this. As I heard someone say this week, it doesn't matter which church you're a part of as long as you give Jesus your heart. I think give it the most charitable understanding. I see what they're trying to say, but we have to be very careful. Salvation is not us giving Jesus our heart as it is. Being a Christian does not mean I accept Jesus into my heart. Listen, we are born, as we have prayed this morning, so grateful We're born with sinful, hostile hearts. That's how we're born. The natural state of our hearts before we are Christians is not kindly letting Jesus in. It is rebellion. There's another idea floating around out there in the world that we are all children of God. Paul says, no, we are not. 
Paul calls those who are trusting in Christ and His blood spilled on the cross and His resurrection from the dead as children of God, predestined, chosen sons, he says in chapter 1. But Paul says before we are adopted, before we put our faith in Jesus Christ, he says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2, we are sons of disobedience. He says in chapter 2, verse 3, we were not children of God, but we were children of wrath like the rest of mankind. In the hostility of our mind and the hardness of our hearts, it's not like we're inviting Jesus in. It's more like we're standing on the inside of the door, propping up chairs under the door, triple locking the door, making a stand, and by our sinful nature, doing everything that we can do to keep Jesus out. Because we love sin and we love the darkness. John chapter 3. So, oh, that God would grant it by the power of the Spirit that Christ would dwell in our hearts through faith. And that means that we would actually trust Jesus for forgiveness for our sins in our hearts, not only in our minds. Not that we have only a mental understanding of Jesus. Not that we acknowledge the historical facts and reliability of Jesus' life. But that our very hearts, the center of ourselves, are changed, renewed, brought to life. So that in our hearts there is an affectionate rest, trusting faith in our hearts. That is, to use Paul's other phrase, in our inner being. Do you know that the mind is not the only thing that understands? The heart is able to understand. Listen to how Paul talks about it. He doesn't say that the heart only feels things. Chapter 4, chapter 3, excuse me, verse 17, he's praying that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend. That you would have strength, the ability to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Now we have to think about this. Paul, friend, careful, it can sound really nonsensical. It doesn't even make any, so you have to know something. That surpasses knowledge. How can you know something that surpasses knowledge? We talk like this all the time though. We say things like this. We talk about knowing things in ways that surpasses, surpasses mental understanding. I didn't introduce them earlier, but my wife Colette is here. We've been married for 15 years. We've been through a few things or two. Listen, I don't, I don't just know that Colette loves me. I know that she loves me. You see the difference? We talk like this all the time. I don't just know that my wife, like she wrote it on paper and posted it on the refrigerator. No, I know that I'm loved by her. That's the kind of difference that Paul is talking about, a knowledge that surpasses knowledge. That you would know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. I think this is one reason that so many who claim to be Christians cannot live like Christ and struggle to actually walk in obedience. It's because they know Christ and their knowledge is either limited to their minds or it is still very immature in affection and trust and knowledge in the heart. Maybe in your own walk, you've been a Christian for some time. And the truths haven't changed. The gospel gets preached and you believe it. Sometimes you wonder if it's getting down there even farther to where you know you actually need something to change. Maybe you've been coming to this church, be a Christian, you profess to be a Christian for a long time. But you're realizing... I feel like there's just something that's in my mind. 
doesn't actually affect my heart, doesn't actually change my soul. This is what it means to be a Christian. There are historians, there are Buddhists, there are atheists who will agree to some of the historical facts about who Jesus is and where he came from and what he did. That's not the same as saving faith that is in the heart that comes from realizing the grossness of our sin towards God and the wonderful love that God has for us by sending Jesus to die on the cross for us and knowing that deep down in our hearts and our souls. Someone gave me a mug. It was my admin in my office. She gave me a mug a while back. Her and her husband... Just a little thank you. And it's got a little picture of a man named R.C. Sproul. And he's got a little beady eyes and his eyebrows coming over his eyes. And it's got a famous memed phrase now. Mark knows, Mark knows where I'm going with this. There's a little phrase. I can't even keep this on the front of my desk because it sounds kind of weird. But it's got R.C. Sproul and above it it says, What's wrong with you people? with a scowl on his face. Uh, it's a wonderful joke, meme, throw around. That sentence from R.C. Sproul comes from the Legionnaire Conference in 2014. Sproul was asked this question. Since God is slow to anger and patient, then why when man first sinned, Sinned was his wrath and punishment so severe and long-lasting? Think about that question. Since God is slow to anger and patient, then why, when man first sinned, was his wrath and punishment so severe and long-lasting? R.C. Sproul responds this way. That God's punishment for Adam was so severe... He says, this creature from the dirt defied the everlasting holy God. After that, God had said that day that you eat of the fruit, you will surely die. And instead of dying, Thanatos, that day, he lived another day and was clothed in his nakedness by pure grace and had the consequences, a curse applied for some later time. But the worst curse would come upon the one who seduced him, whose head would be crushed by the seed of the woman. And the punishment was too severe? What's wrong with you people? Sproul says, I'm serious. I mean, this is what's wrong with the Christian church today. Sproul says, we don't know who God is. And we don't know who we are. The question, why, what, the question really is, why wasn't it infinitely more severe? If we have any understanding of our sin and any understanding of who God is, that's the question, isn't it? Do you hear what R.C. is getting at? What's wrong? It's that you have some knowledge about Jesus. You have some knowledge about Jesus dying on the cross for sins, being our atoning sacrifice. You've, you've heard about Jesus, but in your heart, you're still confused about why the wrath of God is so bad. Still confused about why the wrath of God is so bad instead of being overwhelmed by how wonderful and undeserving and how wretched we are, but how wonderfully gracious God is. You say that you know Christ, but when you ask questions like that, it doesn't sound like you know Him. You know the story, but you don't really know in a heart way the understanding of the height and the depth and the width and the length of the love of Christ that can only be measured in the heart. This is the knowledge we need God to grant and the Spirit to empower so that we can understand in our hearts Nothing keeps us from dying today and forever entering everlasting judgment. Nothing keeps us from God's wrath except God's love. Except the love of Jesus Christ by which He died on the cross for every sin, thinking, living we've ever committed. And that He raised from the grave to conquer death, forever paying for our sins. 
that if we trust in him, we should live with him forever. God's love is too deep, too high, too long, too wide to be measured only in the mind. It can only be measured and understood and believed by God-granted, spirit-empowered faith in the hearts where that thing you've been looking at for some time. This is my story of how I became a Christian. Heard the gospel more than once. Heard the gospel many times. One Sunday morning, heard the gospel again. And this time, in my heart, I heard it differently. I saw it differently. I felt it differently. I measured it differently. My heart was awakened to faith that this God has done this for me. And I believed that I was saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. It's unthinkable. Paul says in Romans chapter 5, verse 7 through 8, that one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. Maybe we can get someone to die for some of the good people in the room, but God shows his love for us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It does not make sense in the mind. Why would the only good person die for the worst people? It doesn't make sense in our minds. Paul says it like this in 1 Corinthians 2.14, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he does not understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. The only way that we can have faith in Christ in our hearts is if the Spirit of God empowers it to happen. Oh, you might do some nice Christian things. You might do things Christians do and go places that Christians go. But Calvin has said it this way. It is not enough. If the knowledge of Christ dwell in the tongue or flutter in the brain. Christ must dwell in the heart. We are saved by Christ to live like Christ. We cannot live like Christ unless he dwell in our hearts. And unless God grant it and the Spirit empower it, He will not dwell in our hearts. I wonder, do you believe that God changes hearts? That God grants it today. That the Spirit of God is empowering hearts to believe in Jesus Christ. Maybe you've given up on yourself or your spouse or your parents or your children. Should God grant it and the Spirit empower it, faith can awaken in the heart. Years ago, I heard a debate between Oxford mathematician John Lennox, a Christian, and atheist professor Richard Dawkins in Birmingham, Alabama. That philosophy epicenter. At the beginning of the debate, the host comes onto the stage. John Lennox on his left, Richard Dawkins on the right, and the host comes out and welcomes the audience with a joke. He begins, first thing he said out loud, he says, we, we have brought you this evening here under rather false pretenses. There actually isn't a debate tonight. Richard Dawkins wanted to come here to the Bible Belt to announce his conversion to the Christian faith. The host laughed. Richard Dawkins laughed. The audience clapped and chuckled. And I remember watching this and thinking, I don't think it's funny. Not that I'm better than anyone there. If I was there, I probably would have laughed. I've laughed at worse things. But I just remember thinking in that moment, that's not funny. I, I read the God delusion debate, and I read that book by Richard Dawkins, and it wasn't just intelligently inconsistent, it's heartbreaking. Such a bleak, Hopeless, angry existence. Oh, it broke my heart to hear the church laugh that Richard Dawkins' own heart might be changed. Well, it can be if God would grant it and the Spirit would empower it. Do we actually believe that God, by His strength, can lift Christ? From our minds to our hearts, that our hearts are enabled to know Christ. How is it that anyone could go from hearing Christ to living like Christ? By the Trinitarian work where God grants the Spirit empowering in your inner being. 
that Christ may dwell in your heart. What a hope. That is the power which God prayed, which Paul prayed, the church would know. There's a pastor named John Joseph. He's a lead pastor at Chevrolet Baptist Church just outside of Washington, D.C. He gave his testimony at a conference called Together for the Gospel. I was there with Mark a couple of weeks ago. He gave his testimony in chapter in 2012. He says, My name is John Joseph. From an early age, I was totally immersed in sin. As I grew older, the nature and degree of my sin became more grievous. As I transitioned to college and early adulthood, the roots of sin that had taken hold in the past began to flourish and take hold of my life. Giving myself completely to sin, I eventually became an alcoholic, a drug user, and a cocaine dealer. I dishonored my parents. I was a liar. I used everyone and everything for personal gain and was full of lust, greed, and hate. But God, in His mercy, removed me from my surroundings. In late 2008, while at Blockbuster, does everyone, does everyone know what Blockbuster is? I don't, I don't even I don't know how to explain it. It's, just, it's movies, and you take them home. And, and Anyway, you have to bring them back later. Okay. Is that blockbuster? He came across Bill Mayer's mockumentary, Religious. He says, as I sat and I began to watch, I was annoyed at Mayer's obvious bias and portrayal of religion. So I got on Google, which surprises me existed in 2008, and searched for a debate on Christianity. Just what I found was a leading apologist who, over the course of the next year, would completely destroy everything I believed in. As I continued to search for more teaching on the web, God in his mercy would send me to Desiring God Ministries. On January 5th of 2010, I sat down to listen to a message on John 3.16. And prior to the beginning of the sermon, the pastor prayed that somebody would be brought from the darkness into the light. Being faithful and true, our father answered, not five minutes into the message, as I sat, devastated by the reality of my sin and the impending judgment that awaited, I knew that I deserved hell. What kind of knowledge do you think that is? I knew I was going to hell. I was, however, then overwhelmed by the knowledge. What kind of knowledge do you think that is? Knowledge that my sins had been forgiven by the blood of Christ. His grace and mercy did not stop at salvation as he continued in giving ways beyond what I could imagine. Had you seen me three years ago, you would have likely thought that I was unreachable. Seriously, there was no reason for me to be standing here outside of God's power. But I stand here by grace as a testament to the power of the gospel. There's not a soul in the world that is too lost or too dead or too far out of God's reach. Do not underestimate the power of the gospel. Friends, what can we do? What can we do? When you are reading your Bibles, look for Christ on every page. When you're reading your Bibles at home, look for Christ. Do not look for moral ways to live today. Look for Christ in your passage. Jesus said that all the law, all the Psalms, all the prophets, they're about Him. If you read the story of David and Goliath, and it's not about Jesus, you are not understanding the point of David and Goliath. Don't go pick up your stones until you understand how it connects to Jesus. Connect the whole Bible to Jesus always, that he might get into our hearts. When you are in your small groups, talk about Christ. Don't spend your whole night complaining. Share your griefs, share your pain, mourn together, rejoice together, and then ask, so what of Christ in regards to all these things? When you're giving counsel to someone or disciplining someone, discipling someone, remember, they don't need more moralistic therapeutic deism from you. They don't need more fortune cookies. Or Facebook quotes from 3 a.m. They need Christ. They need Christ. You need Christ. Read Christ to them. Talk about Christ with them. Meditate on Christ together. Pray for Christ to dwell in your hearts together. Want to be a husband to your wife like Christ loves the church. You don't need a book about 47 different ways to love your wife for the next 30 days. You need Christ. Make a change in your heart. Want to go to work like you are working for Christ. Want to put all of the strength and the armor of the Lord on. Put your eyes on Christ that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Want to find yourself singing to God in worship again. Mean it and love it and be affectionate towards it. Not just in the motions. Play, sing songs about Christ. Christ. 
Look at Christ, read about Christ. We cannot live Christ unless Christ dwells in our hearts. Read some books about Christ with someone else. I can happily recommend these. Who is Jesus by Greg Gilbert. Just read a book about who Jesus is. Another book called Rejoicing in Christ by Michael Reeves. Just a whole book about who Jesus is and what he's done. Do not expect your life to look like Christ if it is Netflix and football which are moving and controlling your heart. Spend time, write a poem or a song or a journal about Christ. In his book, Rejoicing in Christ, Michael Reeves quotes Scottish preacher Robert Murray Machane, who wrote to a friend with this advice, and I'll close. Learn much of the Lord Jesus. For every look at yourself, take ten looks at Christ. He is altogether lovely, such infinite majesty, and yet such meekness and grace, and all for sinners, even the chief. Let your soul be filled with a heart-ravishing sense of the sweetness and the excellency of Christ and all that is in Him. We trust that this message edified the listener and glorified the God who shows love and mercy to sinners in the person and work of Jesus Christ, His Son. Would you take a moment to leave a positive rating for us on your podcast app? You'll be helping others find this episode and more like it. If you'd like more information about First Baptist Diana, then please visit our website, www.fbcdiana.org.